From the dawn of time, the universe was enveloped in an inescapable darkness. For somewhere between 6,000 and 13 billion years, depending on which so-called experts you believe, humankind fumbled around in the gloom, hoping in vain for occasional shafts of light. None came. Only an unending dance of joylessness as civilization plinked along aimlessly towards its inevitable end. Until, in October 2007, 15 years ago to this second, give or take... Audio newspaper for a visual world. Please welcome to the stage Andy Zoltzman! Hello, Buglers! Chris, Chris, you put the fucking balloons in front of the mic. It says 51. It's not 51, mate. This Do is it. not the start to the show that I wanted. <laughs> Hello, Buglers! Hey. Welcome to uh, the 15th anniversary Bugle. Today is the actual birthday of the Bugle. The first ever episode was released on the 15th of October, appropriately enough, for this 15th anniversary, 2007. And if you just think of what's happened since the Bugle started, puts it all in perspective. Almost all of the rodents that were alive in the world... <laughs> when the bugle was first broadcast, are dead! <laughs> Why do you hate rodents so much? Um, we are ridding the world of those snouty little seed-nibbling whisker-twitchers. Uh, the population of the world has gone up by more than a billion. Why is that? Because this show makes the world horny. Um, And uh, we are also uh, 15 years closer to uh, a solution to the global climate crisis. <laughs> You're welcome, albeit only because 15 years have passed and the end of the world is 15 years nigher than it was. So uh, <laughs> still looking like the most viable end point for the global cooking crisis, but there you go. Uh, as always, a section of the bugle is going where? In the bin. I can't hear you! In the bin! In the bin this week. <laughs> Our section of the bin is the number 15 is going uh, in the bin. The number 15 is the atomic number of phosphorus. And uh, to mark this, there is a free bucket of phosphorus <laughs> on the way out for the first person to translate the show into Egyptian hieroglyphs, paint it onto an ancient coffin and convince an archaeologist that the bugle was celebrity pharaoh Amenhotep II's favourite podcast <laughs> and that he insisted on being buried in a bugle-themed tomb. Uh, so I do enter that competition. 15 is also a song composed by Taylor Swift on her 2008 album, Fearless, to mark the Bugle's 15th anniversary. Uh, and she saw the longevity of the show even 14 years ago. She's a visionary, Swift. Um, and uh, Taylor is actually coming uh, to play, um, play us out at the end of the show, isn't she? Did yeah, um, about that. Has she confirmed? Yeah, just carry on. No, Chris. Uh, 15 is also, well, what a number that is. You don't, don't need to be a rocket mathematician to know that 15 is a deficient number a lucky number, a pernicious number, a bell number, a pentatope number, and a smooth number. <laughs> Isn't the internet fun? Um, so that section is... In the there we go, right, it's time to meet our guest for this special 15th anniversary show. Our guests need no introduction. 
maybe on reflection they do need an introduction. Uh, please uh, welcome, uh, joining us in this room, in this very room, all the way from distant parts of the universe, uh, albeit on Earth, but still quite distant, more distant than Streatham, where I've come from, Anu Vampal and Felicity Ward! For the listeners at home, uh, Chris set the microphones to an embarrassingly high level <laughs> where neither of us were almost able to reach it. Welcome, uh, welcome both of you. Felicity, you, uh, since your last appearance on The Bugle, which is a while ago now, you have had a huge change in your life. I have. You have been blessed by the magic of Britishness. I have. You... I became a citizen in May. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and, and many of you will ask why. And why? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sir, I'm asking the same question of myself. Because, I mean, since May, I mean, things were pretty shit before that, but they've gone absolutely <laughs> off the fucking wall since so. I mean, what's. I'm a powerful lady, okay? <laughs> they saw I was here, they're like, okay, that's the cure, <laughs> that's the cue. Let's, let's let them loose, and they've gone absolutely batshit. So, you know, as, as I've known on the um, film Moana that I watch eight times a day because I have a toddler, you're welcome. <laughs> um, Anubab, you've been uh, over here for the last, the last month or so. Yes. Uh, I mean, how have you, uh, you know, as, a, as, an, as an Indian observer of uh, Britain, obviously, you know, our countries have, you know, we've got a, a shared history. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not not always voluntarily uh, shared, um, <laughs> but but shared shared. Now, how have you you know, f- you found the, the chaos that has been enveloping this this country? Yes, well, Andy, you know, um, I studied accounting, um, and I never thought that accounting would ever be in the news. <laughs> now, in accounting, there is a term uh, for retail inventory management called last in, first out. <laughs> I didn't realise you were applying that to British politics. <laughs> that was, uh... Also joining us for what I believe is the first uh, three-guest bugle all the way from San Francisco, if technology works. And bear in mind, you know, the change in technology in the 15 years of the bugle. The, the first episode that we did on this day in 2007, we needed a, uh, two yoghurt pots... <laughs> and a string across the Atlantic so John, John Oliver and I could, uh, could communicate. Um, a lot of the early episodes were recorded on a typewriter as well. So, I mean, we've, we've, technology has moved on, so let's hope it works. From San Francisco, the man who is a one-man criticism of the naivety of international military alliances, NATO Green! <laughs> He's tiny! He's absolutely tiny. Can you make him bigger, Chris? But that's, that's Chris, can you hear me? Yeah, Yay! there he is. Yeah. Okay, I can't hear a f***ing thing anybody is saying. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm piped into a room, and I can't see anybody, and I can't hear anybody, and it's going to be a podcast that comes out later. This is a Black Mirror I, oh, episode, isn't it? <laughs> this, whole, this whole thing feels like having a wet dream about masturbating. So, uh, well, our top story this week, and there's only one place to start, The Bugle's 15th birthday. Um, 
Well, the world has changed since uh, since 2007. You, uh, you know, I don't don't we're going out on a limb when I say that. 15, <laughs> you know, 2007, everyone was happy. There was no war. <laughs> Democracy was expressing the will of all people in its purest form, and you could breathe pure oxygen wherever you went and drink quite literally liquid water from puddles on the pavement, and it would all be fine. But things have gone a bit downhill. Felicity, what were you doing? Well, it may surprise you to know um, that this time, exactly in 2007, uh, I was a little poly nerd. Uh, as not I was a nerd of multiple um, <laughs> <laughs> persuasions, but I was in, in politics. Uh, we were experiencing a change, a Labor change in government. And uh, I, have you ever heard the phrase Kevin 07? <laughs> a couple of one Australian in. G'day, mate. How are you going? Kevin 07 was the slogan of a, a, a challenging MP called uh, Kevin Rudd and he was going to bring it back. After 11 years of John Howard, this, yes, boo, yes, boo, that mono-browed little racist. And it was just a decade of, of Islamophobia in the media and then Kevin Rudd, like, represented hope and change and uh, this was a month before he got elected. I had a Kevin 07 T-shirt. Nerd! And uh, on the night of the election, we all sat around and it was amazing going from, like... This, as I said, this Islamophobia for so long. And then Kevin just turned and, like, his first great act was to say sorry to the first Australians, to um, Aboriginal people, and that was so symbolic. And then not, like, three years later, he opened concentration camps and sent <laughs> asylum seekers. So what I'm saying is Australia's really got a reputation and nothing's changed. And, Ivab, what, uh, what were you doing? 2007, October. Well, I was two years old, Andy, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this discussion is about, but um, I, di I did look up, because you, you said 2007, important year for the Bugle, yeah. what happened, and apparently a thing called the iPhone came out, um, and forever ended this useless thing called the printing press, <laughs> a useless invention by Johannes Gutenberg right. in 1440, has served no purpose, and the iPhone has ended that. What right. a name. Johannes yeah. Gutenberg. Oh. I'm like, are we just going to skip over that? Oh. I, I thought you were going to say iPhone is a correct. <laughs> what a name. Yeah. Well, we could come back to Johannes Gutenberg later in the show in a, a special feature section that we have. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want. Yeah. Uh, um, um, he was a real dish. But but I, 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 <laughs> I have to say, Andy, in 2007, when this podcast started, I thought it was a true crime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still hanging around to find out who did it. <laughs> Uh, NATO, can you hear us? Uh, yes. Oh, good. Uh, what, what were you Chris, doing? Chris, I, I didn't hear what anyone else said, but Chris texted me that you're talking about 07. Yes. Here's what I was doing in 07. I was doing stand-up comedy about how George W. Bush was the worst president ever. Uh, how naive I was. Uh, I was also talking about how Dick Cheney was the devil. Uh, I, did, I did the following joke. It's a stats joke. You'll appreciate it. A new poll is out. George Bush's approval rating among black voters is 2%. That means that there are fewer black people in the United States that like George Bush than like Kenny G, camping, or apartheid. <laughs> the margin of error on that poll is plus or minus 3%. That means that it's statistically possible that negative 1% one, 1 of black people like George Bush, so out of an American black population of approximately 30 million, it means that there could be 200,000 black people who don't like George Bush who don't exist yet. <laughs> 
Right, um, anyway, that's the world in 2007, but let's bring it up to date now with our actual top story, 2022! Woo! And also, boo. <laughs> top story then, Britain is fucking fucked. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, this was, this graphic, this was from the, the Daily Star the ruthlessly journalistic um, uh, political newspaper. They've had a webcam and, and, you, and apparently you can bet on whether the lettuce will outlast Liz Truss. This is British media at its investigative finest. So this is yeah, Liz Truss, the interim Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. She's desperately attempted to U-turn her way back out of the uh, political U-bend. She's flushed herself and the entire f***ing country down, even as the turds of free market inevitability have waved ironically at her on the way past. It's been strange. So with a, she has a political compass that seems to point magnetically to wrong move amigo and has found herself at loggerheads not only with the cold, hard sausage of economic reality, but also with her own policies rebounding in her face and with the party which elected her as their leader just, and this is now a technical term uh, of a university acknowledged time span in politics, six f***ing weeks ago! Um, I mean, as yeah, a, a new Brit, um, stroke Australian, and... An Indian and uh, an American who will be... Uh, Chris, you are you, you giving uh, NATO a full text? I have just texted him, right, yes. Okay. Um, Stand down. Felicity's um, about to go on a rant. Let's, let's go to you first, mm. uh, Felicity. This, mm-hmm. this is your country now. Mm. You are partly responsible for this mess. What the f***'s been going on? Uh, first, sorry. <laughs> have to say that as a new British citizen. Yeah. Um, Look, we've, we've had something very similar in Australia. We went through this where we were changing leaders every couple of months or years. It was an absolute mess. And the thing is, democracy is at stake here. More and more PMs are being elected by the party and not the people. We need stability and leadership. And I think the desperate times call for desperate measures. And I think it's time to call on Paul the Psychic Octopus. And... <laughs> I don't, I'm sure I've talked about him before, but uh, Paul is uh, an, an octopus that in the 2010 Football World Cup would pick the lead up when you put two flags at either end of his tank. And I think you need, we need someone who is bipartisan, who can relate to every party, and Paul is that thing, you know? Like, he's, he's uh, got eight legs, so he's a hard worker, so he's, he relates to Labor, um, he, he loves the ocean, so he relates to the Greens party. And um, like the Tory party, he's completely spineless. So... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that groaning clap. You absolute f***heads. <laughs> Only in this country is a groan accepted as a round of applause. <laughs> uh, 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 you think you're funny, do you? Because we kind of do, but we don't want to let you know... So, I mean, is he, is he still alive or has it been... No, he did die. Right, but, okay. um... Very, very uh, ill-advised holiday to Spain, I believe it was. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> I but, still think he'd make a better choice. Uh, but, but, but has then have his psychic powers been passed down uh, to the next generation in the traditional <laughs> of British means? Of, well, <laughs> yes, of, uh, you know, passing... Uh... Are, are you enjoying having a king? 
isn't it a bit weird? Like the queen we've had for so long, you're like, oh, yes, the queen. And then we have a king. I'm like, hang on, I'm reading fairy tales to my toddlers that have kings and I thought it was fantasy. I'm like, oh, the king and the princess and there's a frog and you know what I mean? And now I'm a king. I'm like, hang on, we're all grown-ups. Are we? We're, fo- we're paying them money. We have a king. Are you insane? Are we insane? I think what we are, are we insane. doing? Well... I mean, that is not a question that we're allowed to ask in this country. No. Because if we start asking that, we will never stop answering it. <laughs> um, uh, Anuvab, I mean, the, the, the chaos that's been... What have been the highlights for you? Of, uh... Well, it's... I mean, when you mentioned this topic, Andy, it's been very confusing for me because I, I think I missed what's going on. Because I googled shortest British prime ministers. Yeah. <laughs> it was William Pitt the Tiny. He's got to be right up, isn't it? He's up there. But I got Spencer Percival, 1809 to 1812, five foot four inches. <laughs> That's actually quite an acceptable height, actually. So, I don't know. And I don't know why you're so caught up about prime ministerial tenures. Because it's really quality that matters. <laughs> I mean, but we, we in India had a prime minister called I.K. Gujral. He was only prime minister for 11 months. Uh, he was caretaker prime minister for four of those 11 months and was abroad for the remaining three of them. <laughs> but he was an incredible prime minister. He did only one thing. He changed the color of the passports and increased the number of pages in a passport. <laughs> More than any other prime minister has ever done. <laughs> Give us the, uh, the American analysis of... Because uh, you've had your fair share of political um, uh, glitches in America, I think it's fair to say, uh, in recent times. Have, have you been enjoying watching your old... Um, uh, rulers <laughs> uh, go through it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm tr- I'm trying to keep up with it, um, and because I I can't hear what anyone else said, maybe you already covered it and answered this question. So, so I, 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 I gather, gather so uh, Quasi Quarteng was sacked. Uh, he was the second shortest serving Chancellor of the Exchequer. Of course, I had to look him up. Uh, the shortest serving cha- Chancellor was Ian McLeod in 1970, who was in office for a month and then died of a heart attack. Or, uh, to use the language of the day, uh, McLeod, you turned on having a pulse. Um, uh, Quartang was in the United States and then came home in order to get fired. Uh, It seems like Trust should have just called him and been like, you know what, stay there. Um, And then... Uh, uh, my favorite thing was, was what, what Quasi Corteng said when they scrapped the plan. He said uh, uh, the reason that they scrapped their plan and, and changed course was, quote, we just talk to people, we listen to people, I get it. Which raises the question, if he just talked to people and listened to people, what were they doing before? Uh, <laughs> How did they make economic plans without either talking or listening? Um, so, and then uh, uh, I watched the Liz Trust press conference, and uh, and she said that her goal is a high growth, low tax economy. Uh, it just uh, that she wants high growth, more prosperity. It just sounds like I want more good and less bad. Uh, it's it's like it feels, it feels like all a high growth, low tax economy. Um, it my based on my limited understanding of British history works great if you are a already rich and b actively plundering the third world at the same time. Um, <laughs> that those are the keys to the success of a high growth, low tax economy. But I, I'm no economist. And then my favorite thing was I'm having trouble following what the like 
are the, the so I gather that Tories are mad at trust now. And maybe you could explain this to me. Tories are mad at trust. Uh, and are they mad because the economic plan was shit? Because the economic plan was shit, but a, a shit, shit that, that they, they liked because it screwed poor people and made rich people richer. Or that she had a shit economic plan and they wanted, and she didn't commit to it fully. Uh, <laughs> that she should have seen the shit plan through to the end. You well, do need to which commit is to shits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what the answer to that is. Because, I mean, they're now, essentially, she's trying to row back on all previous commitments, regardless of what waterfalls she is rowing back uh, <laughs> towards. Um, her her favourability rating is now at minus 56%. <laughs> it was 9% of people in this country have a favourable view, which I think is quite impressive yeah. still. 65% unfavourable. Seriously, we are heading towards Andy Zaltzman at the Manchester Comedy Store in December 2002 <laughs> levels here. <laughs> We're not that far away. She now lo has a lower favourability than either Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn at their least popular. Minus 56. That's also Jacob Rees-Mogg's blood temperature in Fahrenheit. <laughs> it's the exchange rate of the pound against the Ruritanian schnitzel now. And it's also the Conservatives' predicted vote share at the next election if their poll ratings continue sinking at their current rate. So um, let's put this in perspective. Uh, I grew up in Tunbridge Wells, and there was a poll in Tunbridge Wells... Um, just yesterday, after all the things that have happened, and fewer than 93% of Tunbridge Wells have now vote Tory. That is, <laughs> that is down. That is down about 80% on the average general election. Um, so, yeah, quite, quite and, and, Andy, yeah. If, if I may, I saw one story. I'm trying to follow the logic of all the U-turns. Yes. Uh, because there was, I saw a story that said Miss Truss already U-turned on her plan to scrap the top rate of income tax. And a further U-turn is likely to be seen as a blow to her political authority. Uh, isn't a U-turn after a U-turn just turning around completely? <laughs> well, isn't that just rotating slowly in a circle? Isn't that what she's doing? Well, essentially, obviously, Margaret Thatcher is her uh, is her her hero. And Margaret Thatcher famously said, "U-turn if you want to. The lady's not for turning." And Liz Truss has taken that picked up the ball and, and changed it to U-turn if you want to, I will also turn <laughs> and keep turning. Oh, no, I've lost my balance. I've hit my head on a shelf. I'm dizzy now. So that's essentially <laughs> where we are. And the, and the problem for trust is that all they've offered so far in this plan, it's not so much a plan for sustainable growth as a kick-me sign plastered to Britain's national economic backside. Uh, allied to a classic modern rightward-leaning political salad of quarter-baked sloganettes, confected enemies and uncosted vagueness. As a result, the international markets have been spooked, I believe is the technical economics. I mean, this is a bit, a bit of a concern, isn't it? That's... Why would you look at me when you say those words? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've caused a few stock market crashes in your time, haven't you? Are you flirting with me, Andrew? <laughs> um, International markets are very easily spooked. Uh, loud noises, bright lights, uh, or in this case, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor sitting in our National Economic Camper Van, pointing at a brick wall, flooring the accelerator and shouting, Strap in, everyone! We're going to f***ing try something! <laughs> Whilst shoving a copy of Milton, Freeman's, uh, Milton Friedman's The Free Market Libertarian's Guide to Road Safety down their trousers to absorb the impact. That is the situation... Um, we are in. I'm just curious, Andy, rather than incrementally rolling back things and saying we're doing an about turn, could someone just come out, probably quasi quatang and say, we said some things in the mini-budget, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an easier thing to do? Well, I think, 
we're not far away from them just pumping mind-erasing drugs into the water supply, like they do with fluoride for help people's teeth. I would teeth. welcome that with sweet <laughs> relief. Maybe that could bring our nation together after the divisions of Brexit, if we all just had our f***ing minds wiped, which, um, Honestly, of course, 52% already had that before the vote. But, but I mean, the point <laughs> is, we'd bring the country together, would it not? Would it not? Too soon? hey <laughs> I didn't say which 52%, it could have been split between both sides. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what I did like, though, uh, is that, I mean, obviously, you know, all breakups are difficult, and Liz Truss, having <laughs> sacked Quasi Quarteng, said she was sorry to lose Quasi Quarteng. <laughs> a bit like Henry VIII saying, such a shame about Anne. Lovely girl. <laughs> uh, or a bit like... Um, also, the, <laughs> the word lose, it's like, if you left him in America and go, oh, no, we lost him in America, it's like, no, 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 come back here, look me in the eye, so I can say, get the f*** out of this office. You are our scapegoat. Yes. Uh, and also, I have a question, Andy. Apparently, there's a lot of things being said uh, about a anti-growth group of people. Yes. The people who are against growth. And, yeah, and is anyone here? We've got to just, just check now. It's kind of our McCarthy is now. Is anyone here in the anti-growth coalition? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 it's a strong coalition. Strong coalition. And um, I think uh, one of the Conservative members said that they're pro-penury. Uh, <laughs> so they've clearly tried stand-up comedy. <laughs> Yes. Sorry oh, to... I wish I knew what penury meant. <laughs> <laughs> Since the 2015 election, when the Conservative Party won promising strong and stable government, as compared with the chaos of Ed Miliband and the Labour Party, we have had four Prime Ministers <laughs> and seven Chancellors of the Exchequer. Oh we could be set for a fourth change in Prime Minister since 2015, as many as there were from when Thatcher took over in 1979 up to the 2015 election. Seven chancellors, including five new ones since July 2019, three of them since July this year. Four chancellors in the last five months, as many as there were from 1993 to 2015. Oh, my and God. <laughs> so, uh, in summary, as I said, we're f***ed. Um, <laughs> Moving on to other uh, completely unrelated uh, British stories, the entire country is on strike, basically. Um, possibly um, possibly there, there is a, a correlation between um, years and years of unbelievably shit government and everyone going on strike. Nate, I'm going to come to, uh, to you on this, because uh, you, you, are, you work for you are a union rep. You are generally, when you r record the bugle... Um, chucking Molotov cocktails at the police of uh, San Francisco, <laughs> um, uh, metaphorically. Uh, uh, what, I mean, what have you made of the, the, the wave of industrial action over here? So, when in doubt, take to the streets. Shut them down. Um, I've, given it, it, I've given advice about strikes before on the Bugle, and um, it's striketober. It was striketober a year ago in America. It's uh, striketober now in England. Um, day one of the strike, people mostly excited to be on strike. Um, they want to they wanna march around and they're excited. Day two, you need to pump up the energy, so get, like, have a big mass march. Day three, people start getting tired of the strike, and so you want to start uh, occupying offices. Maybe you lock your head to the boss's desk, things of that nature. Um, uh, day four, people get hungry, and so send snacks. That's the key thing. <laughs> Um, and then day five is when you begin uh, giving each other hand jobs on the picket lines. Um, so I'm always on I day think, one. Uh, I think everyone, everyone should get fisted during the strike, is my advice. Um, I think that makes it better. 
Um, I also, uh, as you can see from my background, I have a handy strike ready uh, Zoom background. If anybody wants it, tweet at me, I'll send it to you. I also think some people complain that strikes inconvenience them. And to those people, I would like to say, fuck you. Um, that's the point of the strike is to inconvenience people. So uh, if, if, if you are inconvenienced, then what uh, the universe is telling you is that it's time for you to go on strike too. Andy, I just have a couple of, you know, I, I know lots of strikes have been going on. They've been going on successfully. And I think the basic thing that people have been doing is not showing up to work. Now, um, where I come from, we've seen a range of pretty good strikes. And uh, I just want to just discuss some creative ideas around strikes. Okay. Uh, I just want to go back to, as the young people say, the OG of strikes, Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, <laughs> and he, he was big. He was big into strikes and uh, wicked keeping, just two things. <laughs> That he was big into, and his his main one, uh, the one no one was expecting, which I think he's, he nicked from someone, was the hunger strike. He just stopped eating. Churchill didn't expect that. <laughs> he had a full meal ready, and he said, oh, well, "I'm not going to eat till you free India." And right. that was very confusing for everyone in power. Right. But and is, is that why Churchill stole all the food from all the other Indians so they could all <laughs> jo join in? <laughs> I'm just going to quickly move on. <laughs> Is that an edgy topic? Even now, we're still like, come on, give it some time. Uh, but the, What's the a one... comedy show without a lighthearted Bengal famine reference? <laughs> As give the people what they want. Swap yeah. yeah. made Macintyre successful, yeah. and we're just on that same bus. That is the name of my b b uh, band, by the way, lighthearted Bengal famine reference. <laughs> so we, we've been touring all around Eastern India. Uh, <laughs> But the one that I found brilliant and very confusing was the non-cooperation movement, uh, where he said, you know, obviously he wasn't up for violence. He said, you know, this is India 1930. You're working with British people. Work with British people, but don't cooperate with them, which makes the workplace very difficult. Because <laughs> you'll be like, Sorry, uh, someone, some English person says, can you pass the pen? And the Indian person goes, no. <laughs> when, so pesky protests. But lately, we've been really upping the ante. One of my favorite protests was in an exam in Eastern India in the state of Bihar, where the students were protesting the ridiculous exam schedule and rigor required. So they showed up at the exam completely naked, <laughs> throwing the entire examination schedule into a bit of disarray. And yet some people had mentally prepared for everyone else to be naked in the room. So they just <laughs> aced the test, actually. Um, just some breaking news on strikes. Um, British ghosts are going on strike. Um, the British Union of uh, Spectres uh, has just um, an, released a statement saying most people are now so haunted by reality <laughs> that they see us as just someone to unload their worries to. <laughs> it's resulting in a decline in job satisfaction amongst our members. There's never been a tougher time to be a ghost. So. Um... Appropriately enough, that brings us on to American news now. Um, uh, NATO, uh, bring us up to date with uh, America. Donald Trump has been uh, been subpoenaed. Um, uh, and what else has been capturing your uh, attention in America this week? Uh, yeah, hey, Andy. So, so uh, America, America um, is stupid. And uh, I think it's safe to say... So a couple of highlights. Uh, we have the midterms coming up. Um, there are a bunch of contested Senate races. The Republican Party has decided 
that uh, the key to uh, having a competent and, and sober hand on the wheel uh, of government is to run uh, both a TV personality uh, for Senate and also a author uh, uh, of named J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is running for Senate in, in Ohio. J.D. Vance is a tech venture capitalist who moved to San Francisco to build his fortune and then moved home to Ohio to return to his true love of transphobia. Um, he came to San Francisco, the gay capital of America. It made him rich, and now he's mad about liberals. Uh, so that always makes sense. He has never had public office, but he wrote a book about hillbillies. And you know how since Trump has been elected, there were all these uh, commentaries about the plight of the American heartland and the misunderstood and maligned white people who are so tired of being disrespected by coastal elites like me that they, they've decided it's time for fascism because there's a black mermaid. Uh, that's J.D. Vance. He's that guy. Uh, and J.D. Vance is right. I am a coastal elite, and I do look down on him. He created a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not because he's from Ohio. It's just because he's a c um, And... Like a lot of Republicans, uh, they are very wound up about pronouns. They're outraged by the idea, uh, uh, Vance is outraged by the idea that, that people should get to tell you what they want to be called instead of you telling them. That's why J.D. Vance goes around Ohio calling married women by their maiden names. Uh, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Jameson, bullshit libtard. It will always be Mr. Jameson and Miss Everly. Don't bring me into your bedroom. No, I will not send a Le Creuset Tagine from the wedding registry. Uh, Republicans don't believe in nicknames either. I refuse to call him Maverick. He's only Pete Mitchell. Um, so Vance, this is my favorite thing. Vance went on a podcast and talking about children using their preferred pronouns in school. He, said, he also said, said that he thought that if children became furries, their parents had a right to know. He said, if my son identifies as a chipmunk, I want to know about it. Uh, aside from the fact that this is not a thing that occurs, if your son identifies as a chipmunk and you can't tell, then you're the asshole. Um, uh, do you mind if I say a word about the January 6th committee, Andy? Oh, not, not at all, NATO. <laughs> Far away. Uh, so, I don't know if you are aware, but uh, in the shithole country that is the United States, the Republicans tried to overthrow the government on January 6th of 2021. Uh, there's been a January 6th committee investigating it. Uh, they finally subpoenaed Donald Trump to come. He won't come. If he did come, it would be f***ing amazing. Uh, it would be Trump having to answer questions under oath from Democrats on national TV would be bigger than Game of Thrones. Uh, it would also be shorter because he would start shouting and have a stroke in about three minutes. Um, it's not clear if it would, I don't think it would change anything. Like every, every week since he first announced his candidacy for president in 2015, people have been saying, well, now they can't ignore this, and then they do. Um, but the real highlight of the committee that I want to bring your attention to is Nancy Pelosi, my congresswoman, House Speaker. Uh, she's, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Nancy Pelosi. She's the leader of the House Democrats, and the best thing that I can say about her is that she's not Chuck Schumer. Uh, Chuck Schumer is the leader of the Senate Democrats. Uh, he's the he's a Jew, but he's the kind of Jew that makes other Jews like me yell at the television. Get it together, man. You'll get us all killed. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying Chuck Schumer is weak, but if Nazis came to put him on a train to Auschwitz, he'd offer them a cheese platter. So the committee released two videos of Nancy Pelosi from January 6th. And one of them, a, a staffer, staffer tells her that Trump, Trump is leading a mob to the, the Capitol, Capitol. And she, she says, says 
quote, I hope he comes, I will punch him out and go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. And hearing those words from an 80-year-old Italian woman is the most terrifying thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, that is more menacing than any line from any mafia movie ever. I'm like, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Nothing on this. Then, later that day, there's another video of her on the phone with Mike Pence. And she like, starts out like kindly grandma lady where she says, oh, God bless you. And my goodness, where are you? I hope you're okay. And then... While she's telling Pence not to let anyone know where he's hiding, she pulls down her mask, opens the wrapper of a package of Slim Jims with her f***ing teeth like it's the pin in a grenade, and proceeds to munch on it while telling Pence, Pence how they're going to clean the human shit out of the Capitol Rotunda. So her move here is highly familiar to, familiar to me as a San Franciscan. Uh, people of the UK, if you don't know, the Slim Jim is a beef jerky snack, and it's sold individually wrapped as an impulse buy at the counter of the neighborhood corner store. It tastes bad. Even within the genre of dried beef snacks, it's not a good one. And yet there are 560 million sold in the United States every year. One does not go out to buy a Slim Jim. One is at the store late at night to buy booze and, and is like, like, I haven't eaten and I'm going to throw up. I need some fat and protein in my belly. I just, I just got, got a case of beer and a bottle of tequila. I want to keep drinking. I could use a Slim Jim right now. Uh... That's what this product is. So if I were the Slim Jim CEO, I would change the slogan from what the current slogan is, which is snap into the beefy, juicy taste of a Slim Jim into Slim Jim for when you need to stop a motherfucking coup. <laughs> Nato Green! Andy. <laughs> Andy, I just want to say, every time I listen to Nato, it's very hard to figure out what his political beliefs are. <laughs> Um, <laughs> explain what RRR is. Yes, well... Other than basically something that Prince Charles says when someone walks into a room. RRR. An extraordinary thing he said to... Did you see the amazing bit of Freudian monarchy he did when Liz Truss came in to meet him and he says, uh, back again, dear oh dear. <laughs> For once, the monarch is genuinely speaking on behalf of the people of this country. But what is RRR? Well, well, before I explain it, actually, uh, you know, inspired by the movies like Howard's End and Merchant Ivory, this is in that vein. It's very subtle, very quiet, very English kind of film. <laughs> RRR is a, a film, is an anti-British Empire film. Um, what did we do wrong? <laughs> nobody on. knows. No, it was ages ago. Nobody knows. <laughs> no, that's where all the confusion comes from. <laughs> And the scene we've just seen, this is the final scene of the movie where two people fighting the British Empire uh, invade a garden party hosted by the local governor with an entire zoo. <laughs> and which of us haven't done that? <laughs> now, there's been a lot of talk about how a, a gentleman in The Spectator wrote an article saying that it wasn't an accurate portrayal of the British Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Because There's nothing wrong with that. No. We've had inaccurate portrayals of the British Empire for our entire history. <laughs> they were upset. I mean, first of all, most of these animals were shot so they couldn't <laughs> around to be brought to a garden party. So um, his, his claim was that... Uh, the whole point of the film is that there's a governor who's cruel and sadistic and doing terrible things. And his point was that you can't have this kind of a thing because it didn't happen. There were laws. There were systems in place. Now, he's trying to find logic in a film where a man has unleashed an entire zoo. <laughs> and in a later scene, another man is punching a tiger in the face. 
We've all done it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Andy, there's a d debate going on on whether RRR is, and it's in, it might be a nominee for the Oscars, on whether this is an accurate portrayal of Britain in India. Now, if this is an accurate portrayal of Britain in India, then my favorite Bollywood film, Disco Dancer. Uh, <laughs> two disco dancers in the audience. Which ends with a disco dancing face-off till death. It's an accurate portrayal of India in post-Soviet <laughs> 1980s. So, uh, but this debate is raging on. We don't have a winner. Uh, but uh, an article was written in The Spectator saying Governor Sp Scott, who is a bad man who's kidnapping people, uh, could not have done these things because, uh, you know, the, the system of fair play would have, would have come into practice. Uh, and we answered by unleashing a zoo. <laughs> I absolutely adore British incredulity about their own history. <laughs> I, well, you've come to the right country. <laughs> I, my favourite thing, I've heard multiple English people say this, go, God, you watch all these American films and God, all the bad guys have got these English accents. I'm like, have you read all books? <laughs> have you opened Wikipedia? You f***ed everyone repeatedly for ages. Yes, but cricket. <laughs> you make an excellent point, sir. Yeah. I'll say that. Again, I, I've never... I agree. I, I think the British Empire hasn't gotten the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I've only talked it about, about it on our podcast, but I cannot believe in a country that invented cricket, you can't watch it on free-to-air TV. <laughs> Why are we not taking to the streets? Why are we not angry anymore? Ticket prices for trains are the most expensive in all of Europe. What the f*** are we doing sitting in a theatre going, aren't we terrible? We need to riot. This is insane. It's insane. Our Testify! Country... <laughs> Our country is crumbling. We can't just go, oh, it's really bad, isn't it, actually? Yeah. No, I'm actually... I went and saw a satirical show and, yeah, pretty bad. Feel like I've contributed now. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, you can't kick me out now. So. <laughs> that brings us to the end of this 15th anniversary bugle. Huge thanks from San Francisco, NATO Green, and a tiny little box. Anuvapal, Felicity Ward, the wonderful producer Chris, who keeps this thing going. Thank you for all your support over the years. See you in 15 years' time. Goodbye. And it's Usman. Awesome.